This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, action's coming up, and I feel like God's really got our church in an interesting place right now, where everyone's going to have to be attentive and responsive. Everyone say attentive and responsive. Let me ask you something. Do you ever feel like you get enough of God's presence? Anyone ever say, you know, I've, I've, I've got enough of God's presence right now. Lord, you can stop the presence flow in my life. You've given me a little too much. Anyone ever felt like that before? <clears throat> who, who, who says that they, would, they desire more of God's presence? Presence would be great too. But more of God's presence. I think every single one of us says, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. We know that where there's his presence, there is fullness of joy, right? In his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's peace. There's reconciliation. There's wholeness. Things make sense from an eternal perspective in his presence. Amen? Yeah? But we never get to that place where we say we've got enough. So here's the question. How do we get more of his presence in our lives? How do we have him move more powerfully in our life today than we did yesterday? How do we have his presence saturate us constantly day and night? Because if we knew specifically that, wouldn't we do that? Um, It comes down to a really interesting key which we're going to talk about today, which is obey. You see, we're in this series called Faith in Action. And here's the thing. Um, you know, the, the Bible says that faith without action is dead. So it means faith is still there, it's just dead. So to revive faith doesn't mean making, uh, you know, it doesn't mean just trying to do random things action-wise. Let's just do a lot of action stuff so that the faith arises. It's doing things that are specific. If you act like a soccer player in a basketball game, what happens? You're irrelevant, right? If you behave like a politician at a kid's birthday party, What happens? The kids don't relate. There's nothing good that you do there. In the 90s, um, Sprite came out with an interesting ad called Obey Your Thirst. Do you remember that whole campaign? I loved it. And it kind of ruined me because they used a lot of really cool basketball players. And basketball players, I, I wanted to be a basketball player when I grew up. And I was so mad that I was white. I can't tell you, I, I was so mad. I, I would actually like say, God, if you could turn me into a black man, that would be amazing. Because whenever I walked bas- watched basketball games, and, and, and it was everything to do with basketball, this campaign, people would jump up and they would hang for a while and then boom, dunk. And I'm like, that's what I want to be, man. But then whenever you saw a white guy in the basketball field, it looked so bad. It was like, you should not be there. Like, how did he get on the court? You guys with me? So I wish I was black and um, I'm okay. I've, I've made my peace with God at this point and I know I'm white. But, but what would happen is the Sprite ads would always say, obey your thirst. So every time you were thirsty, you started thinking, let me, let me obey this desire. Let me have my thirst submit to the Sprite let me put my thirst in control. And, and just, you know, just thinking about the 
Right now, you want, you want a Sprite. Because what is it doing? It's commanding you to do something with a desire. What are we obeying when we have desires? Many of us, many of us obey the things of the flesh, right? And the Bible says that you become slave of whatever you obey. So the question is, what are we obeying? And it comes down to what do we want more of in our life? What do you want more of? Some of us are so excited to obey our desire for entertainment. We get home. We call our wives on the way home. Babe, I'm almost there. Make sure you record it before I come. 24, legacy. There it is. Boom. The fixer. I'm, des- I'm, I'm satisfying. I am, I, I'm obeying my desire for entertainment. Obey your entertainment desire. Some of us right now want to obey our hunger, right? It's 10 o'clock, but lunch is on its way. And right now you're saying, I can't wait to submit my hunger to that roast chicken in the oven when I get home. I will submit it so well. And it will do justice. So what are we submitting to constantly? What are we obeying in our life? Because often we obey so many things that our flesh demands. So many things that the world, Ephesians 2 today says that don't you remember? Why are you listening to the world to tell you how to live when they have no idea how to live? You constantly live in disobedience before, but now you have a new life which is obedience and submission to God. Are we obeying our thirst or are we obeying God's hunger in our life? Are we obeying his commands? Because there's a direct correlation with obedience and his presence. You obey your desire, your entertainment, your hunger for chicken. You tell your hunger to submit, which I do, right? I'm I'm a fan of Sunday lunch. But what do you want more of? You see, Christ, Sprite, Christ didn't set us free to do random acts of freedom, but he set us free to obey his command so that he could do amazing acts through us. So Acts 6 verse 26, we're going to go to a, an amazing example of, of obedience. You guys ready? Are we ready? Come on, I need you to say yes with me. I, I need some powerful amens in this place today. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, we had this amazing... Uh, story of Philip the disciple and it says now an angel of the Lord said to Philip Philip was one of Jesus's 12 disciples had such a passion for evangelism and he says to Philip this angel which some would say is Jesus go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza so he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch right Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe this was God's plan to start getting Africa filled with the Holy Spirit and and inserted with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe this was it. So he says, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandaka, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in a chariot. Now, Emmanuel Swedenborg Um, who's a theologian and a scientist, says that the chariot in the Bible represented a national mindset and a national way of thinking, a a, a worldview regarding a nation. So let's just not look at this chariot as some, you know, horse-driven vehicle. Let's look at it as a, a, a national way of thinking, a national worldview. So he's reading the book of Isaiah, and the Spirit tells Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot 
and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. I want us to think through this real quick. The obedience factor that Philip had. There's a chariot, you could say, a motorcade, right? Imagine an angel comes to you and says, run after the president's motorcade. Let's just put into context. And you're saying, hang on. I don't know if I can run that fast. Who knows how fast the chariot was going? But listen, a chariot could go pretty fast. But his instant obedience doesn't say, um, why, God? Why, why, why do you want me to go to this chariot? There's a chariot. I don't know what's going on with that chariot, but I'm going to start running to it. What has God asked you to run towards that you're still asking questions about? Where you're saying, what does that chariot have to do with anything in my life? God's saying, run to that nation. It's a worldview that I'm trying to change, but I need you to respond instantly if you want me to move through your life. And I'm, I'm asking myself this question. When have there been times where I should have obeyed, but I analyzed And I said, but hang on, Lord, how is that chariot a part of my life right now? But look at the power of obedience in this situation because he starts running. And he finds out that God has a huge plan for Ethiopia and Africa as he runs. What are you running to? What are you running to out of obedience? And what are you running to out of selfish desire? Zach Putin said, obedience to God must never be delayed. Obedience to God must never be delayed. Is there obedience that we should be acting on that we are delaying? Charles Spurgeon said this, it is not for me to rise up and go in rebellion against his wishes. If he be a father, let me note his commands and let me reverentially obey. If he has said, do this, let me do it. Not because I dread him, but because I love him. You know, some people dread God. Where, you know, they obey the commandments in this like freaked out way. <laughs> he forbids me, and if God forbids me to do anything, let me avoid it. We were by the Zambezi once and I had got an interest in the water because I think guys in water, if you ever have sons, they just want to go to the water. Just one of those things. And so I went down by the water and my dad said, be careful of crocs. I said, dad, yes, I will be careful. And we're playing and I think my brother and I were throwing sticks and I was right at the edge of the water in the Zambezi River. And again, Zambezi River has loads of crocs. And so throwing sticks and, you know, skimming stones as guys do. And all of a sudden I just heard my dad say, Tommy, jump right now. And at that point in time, there was two things I could have done. I could have jumped or I could have said, who is he to ask me to jump? Here I am having a great time down by the river and you ask me to jump. Why? So I understand that my dad is not this demanding father that says, son, when I say jump, you jump. There you go. Son, when I say run, you run. Why? Because it's a control thing, son. I know my dad enough to know that if he asked me to do something, that there's a love reason behind that. So I jumped. And as I jumped, a croc came right out of the water and was ready to, I guess, pull me in. But if I would have asked the question why, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't be here telling you that I wish I was a black man when I was born. Romans 6 verse 16 says, 
do you realize that if you become the slave, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You you become a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God. It's a choice, which leads to righteous living. So what are we a slave to? Because sometimes I, I know that I can be a slave to my fleshly desires. All of us have had that before. We, 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 we can't wait to obey our thirst for the things of this world. But are we excited to obey our thirst for the things of God? Would you characterize yourself as an obedient person? Question. Maybe just ask your neighbor, would you characterize yourself as an obedient person? It's not something you normally say to people when you meet them. Like, you know, those, those gatherings at cell group, like, tell us about yourself. Well, first of all, I'm obedient. Normally what, what people say is, I'm untouchable. Uh, I've got vision beyond what you can even understand. And uh, one day I'm going to be a trillionaire. I'm a trillionaire in the making. Yes, I am. But very few times do we put on our LinkedIn profiles or our Facebook profiles, I'm an obedient person. How, how, you know, it's, just, it's not something that we want to put out there all the time. But obedience is closely related to God's presence in your life. Let, let me say this, belief is not enough. Because you can become a slave to fear when you believe in God. Because you, you're, you're following him so you don't mess up. But how many of you know that even the demons believe and they obey God out of fear. Think through this. If you're only obeying God through fear, you may be closely or more close to a demon than a child of God. Because, because if, you, if you obey God out of a fear, not a reverence, then you, the, the demons do that, that exact same thing. Well, I don't want to do this because uh, God might, okay, well, how are you different to a demon? The demons believe that he is the son of God. They obey when the word is spoken. They have to obey. So, so they obey out of fear because they don't want to get thrown into hell. They'd rather get thrown into pigs sometimes. But so, so what makes us different? It's our reverential obedience. When we understand God's love and we say we want to obey out of love. We want to obey because we understand your father's heart. So what chariot are we running to? Okay, let me say this. Obedience is closely related to God's presence in your life. Let me, let me, let me show you this. If we could have the tabernacle uh, picture real quick. Um, the tabernacle was put in the center of the tribes of Israel, the tabernacle of Moses. I'm not going to get into it, but I've been studying this. And it's a great study. But basically, God wanted to make sure his name was in the center of community, Right? He wants his name to be the center of your life. We talked about the center a few months ago, but you've got the whole tribe of Israel centered around God's presence and where he manifests himself, okay? You catch the drift? All right, cool. I just want to make sure you're following with me, all right? Let's say a powerful amen real quick. Just just keep me going. So God's presence is in the center of the whole community. You've got all the 12 tribes of Judah. It's in the center, and there's a way that follows this. Everything in the Old Testament is a pattern that reveals Jesus Christ in the way we relate to God. It's not just some random thing where we're like, well, those are old stories and, you know, sometimes I read them, sometimes I don't. They're patterns for us to understand the way God does things, right? Okay, so the tabernacle can be boring if it's told in a bad way, but this is a fun way, okay? So this is, and this is basic, basic summary here. 
what would happen is there were basically three different sides to the tabernacle. And what would happen is priests would go in. We know that's been fulfilled now by Jesus. I'll show you. But priests would go in, and you can read about this in the Old Testament. The priests would go in, and the first section, right? The first section of the tabernacle was the place of burnt offerings. So this was the place of sacrifice. And, and, and this purple knife, I guess, represents that. I don't know why it's purple. Um, I'm not sure. Taz, we have to figure that out, why it's back in the kitchen. But we have a purple knife here. This represents the sacrifice, so the burnt offerings, the killing of, the shedding of blood. And this would take care of the sins of the people, right? Okay? Then the second stage was where there would be a cleansing. So it would be like a baptism. So this is where we would be cleansed of unrighteousness. And it it represented the baptism of you know, of, of, of God in our lives. And the third, and again, many people stay in these two sections. They're constantly saying, God, I want to sacrifice for you. And, 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 and if you've ever talked to people about that, they say, you know, I just sacrifice. My life is just a big sacrifice for the Lord. And have this like self-martyr thing. But the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the closer you feel His presence. So, this is the washing, the washing away, the cleansing. And again, we all need cleansing. Sometimes we come into his presence, we're like, God, we want, we want your cleansing. But the more you got in, and this was now the holy place, and there were two places, the holy place and the holy of holies. In the holy place were three things. There was the wine, which represented the cup that Jesus shed his blood, but the cup that we would also drink, Right? It represented the incense. This was the incense burning, which was um, the candle of incense. And this would be an aroma. And then it would represent the bread. This was the shoe bread. And the shoe bread was something that would be eaten, but represented the doing, the doing of the word. Then inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, why am I saying this? is because this was the most holy place. This was where God would manifest his presence in the most powerful, powerful way. But now coming back, we know Jesus has fulfilled that and taken the veil down, right? But now, so often, we have people who are sacrificing things. And we're saying, God, we're in this, we're in this zone of sacrifice and we can hear the Holy of Holies. We can hear what's going on. We can kind of feel the presence seeping through the tent but we're in this place of, we need cleansing. Lord, just cleanse me. Just cleanse me. Lord, um, I need forgiveness of my sins. I need forgiveness of my sins. Lord, I need cleansing. I need cleansing. And he's saying, listen, the more that you eat my bread, the more that you eat my bread, the more that you abide by commandments, the more presence you will feel in your life. And so, so many Christians are constantly going between these two places. I need cleansing. I need cleansing. I need cleansing. We're not in the Holy of Holies yet. We're not even in the holy place. I need sacrifice. I need to do something to make sure that I feel like I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm, like I'm whole. But God's saying, if you eat of my bread, Jesus said this. He said, the food is to do my will of the one who sent me. Our food, the way we feel God's presence is when we obey by eating the word. When we eat the word, when the way that we feel his presence, why was it that in, in the Ark of the Covenant, there was Aaron's staff, which represented action, right? 
we had the, um, the, the Ten Commandments, which represented the things that we would do. Everything comes back down to obedience when it comes to his presence. There will never be a time you feel God's presence than when you obey and run to your chariot. You will feel his presence uncontrollably in your life. And so, so often we get, this, we get this mixed up. We say, okay, there's the tabernacle. And I, I hear people all the time saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice my life to, to do something. Yes, yeah, sacrifice your life. But don't do that and not eat the bread. Don't do it and not obey his word. Because when we walk into that holy of holies, that's where we feel his presence. What is God asking you to eat today? What is he asking you to do today? What has he asked you to do? Because I, I hear a lot of people and it's, it's easy to, to be this. And I'm not saying that you're in a wrong place. But many people say, you know what? I used to feel God's presence, Tom. I used to feel it, man. But I don't really feel it anymore. God may be asking you to do something else. And you just haven't obeyed. You may be saying, Tom, when I was at you, because you know what? God also takes us in phases, right? My kids go to Tumba Tumba. I used to love Tumba Tumba. When I was seven, I was like, there is no better place on this earth than Tumba Tumba or, or, or uh, something like Tumba Tumba. It's a kid's play place. I was like, even when I'm 25 and 30, I will still play at Tumba Tumba. <laughs> but then I realized there's other things that God wants me to do instead of play around at Tumba Tumba. And, and, and the feeling that I got doing Tumba Tumba is not the same feeling that I get in terms of God's pleasure now that he's asked me to do more things. So we can't rely on yesterday's bread. We've got to go into the Holy of Holies. We've got to take the bread. We've got to go into that holy place and do his will. Let's go back to Philip real quick. Then Philip, verse 30, ran to the chariot. Everyone say ran. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So now just picture this. He's running, he's running by the chariot, listening to a man. So he's, he's running and listening at the same time. Remember that. You can run and listen at the same time. You don't have to know everything that's going on. It doesn't say how long he ran for. It doesn't say he ran one kilometer and then everything happened. You know, the Bible says those who are faithful in little will be faithful over much. But he doesn't give a timeline to that. The worst thing you can do when you're faithful and haven't received much is be unfaithful. Because then you cut off the much that could be coming. So he's running and he's hearing this guy, this eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, reading, reading it. And he says this while he's running. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Look at what Philip's obedience does. He engages in this conversation. His passage of scripture, the eunuch was reading, um, said this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before its shearer um, is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or is it someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Do you know that you can begin where someone's at, where someone's discovering you can start right there and link it all back to Jesus? But he had to be obedient to follow a chariot. He had no idea why he was following. He had no idea who was in it and he had no idea what he was reading. But he didn't know all this before he started running. 
God is asking us to do things. Some of you in this place, God's asking you to do things. You don't know why, but he's saying start to run. And as you run, you will listen. As you listen, you will be able to engage. And as you engage, you'll be able to link it back to me. But it comes back down to obedience. Let me tell you something. You feel God's presence when you start to obey his word. When you start to obey his voice, you feel his presence. I'm going to show you one other thing of how this works. But obedience directly correlates to God's presence in your life. You can't be disobedient and expect God to be super powerful in your life. Let me show you what else happens. Philip wasn't in a rut of sacrifice and cleansing. He, wasn't, he, was, he was here doing the will. He was there eating the bread. He was out there running after chariots. And here's the thing. Philip in the story breaks barriers. If you ever want God to break through in your life, start to obey him. Let me show you how this works. I said, we don't know how long uh, he followed, but instant obedience, sometimes we think, we analyze. God told us to do something. We don't know why, but we also don't know what we miss if we don't obey. In verse 36, it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. I've got this understanding. I've got this revelation. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip, chariot, what does chariot represent? A belief system, a mindset, a national way of thinking. He stopped it. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel until he reached Caesarea. Look at what happened. Think about the barriers in your life. The, 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 the place where they were baptizing, the Ethiopian eunuch and this new place, Azota, whatever it was. Because of Philip's obedience, God removed every barrier so that he could keep doing more. He removed the expense of travel barrier. He removed the, the geographical barrier. He removed the tiresome walk barrier. He removed the barriers. Why? Because when God finds someone who is obedient, he removes the barriers from your life so you can do more for him. So many of us are still looking at that chariot going, well, I wonder if that was God or not. And we're, we're walking around and we're saying, Lord, please use me in a powerful way. God's like, man, if you just followed me, you would be in like three different cities by now. You would, you would have been baptizing people on the side of the street. You would have been uh, changing nations for my name. But you had to ask why you should run after a chariot. So when we obey God, guess what? If you're looking for a breakthrough in your life, you're like, God, from, from, from where I am to where I feel like you want me to go, there's all these barriers. Start obeying him. Watch what he does. But when we come back to this disobedience, so often he's like, hey, I want to move powerfully in your life. I want my presence to usher you into new places. The breakthrough is in our obedience. If you ever wondered, where's my breakthrough, Tom? I've been waiting for my breakthrough for a long time. The worst thing to do is to not be faithful with that because then you cut off the much that's coming. But if you're saying, Tom, listen, I'm waiting for my breakthrough. Let me just say this, throughout scripture, the breakthroughs come through obedience. And if you've ever disobeyed or if you've ever got something in your heart where you're like, you know what, I feel like God told me to do that. Mark my words, you go do that and watch God's presence flood your life.
And it may not be in the same way you think, but watch what happens when you start to obey. It's one of the most powerful keys to God's presence in your life. You know, again, coming back to this whole love and, and how do we do this? Um, we've, we've got to obey in, in a few different ways. <clears throat> my family and I, my brothers and my sister, we went diving with whale sharks one time. And if you know whale sharks, they're huge. And we were on the side of this, it was in Mexico, and we were on the side of this boat. You can put up the picture. We're on the side of this boat. And the guy said, hey, you just gotta, you gotta obey me, okay? Because if I tell you to jump in the water, you gotta jump in. Because we may only see one whale shark. And now listen, guys, I've never seen a whale shark in my life. And we're in the open sea. You can see that big thing next to me there? That's the shark. It's huge. And, 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 and all of us, you know, as brothers, we try and make sure that all of us are, you know, looking the part, you know? not scared. And uh, so, so all of a sudden we, ca- we carry on going and we're the first boat to arrive at this place. And he says, there's a whale shark, jump in. And we're looking and we just see this huge shadow in the water. And I'm like, you want us to jump in now? I'm like, what about you? You're the guide. He's like, well, I don't have my fins on yet. And I'm like, yo, I just want to see this thing. Like I, I, don't, I don't want it to, to, to go away. So I jump in first myself and I dive and I, and I look through with my goggles and there's this, it's right in front of me, this huge mass of fish. You've got to know, you're asking yourself, am I right with God? Because you do not want to be swallowed for seven days. You're saying, so you dive in. And, 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 and through, the, you know, through the snorkel, right, you just hear this, like, and, then, and then my brothers come behind me, and the same sound, like, everyone's freaking out, and they're, they're screaming through this little pipe. So it sounds amazing. And, and you see this whale shark, and immediately you're like, oh my, like your, your heart just starts beating. You're like, this is crazy. Like, I can't even understand this. Um, and then you look around and, and then there were 12 whale sharks that surrounded us. So we're in this, this small little place and there's 12 surrounding us. And I'm just like, you, you, you know, you, you feel so out of your depth. But then all of a sudden you begin to get a little bit more comfortable and you still respect them but you just don't fear them anymore and then you start you know trying to touch them (laughs) but you're swimming by these huge majestic whale sharks but here's the thing the more comfortable you get the more reverential you get because you start seeing one move of its tail could completely throw you off one sudden movement could completely crush you and it's the same way with god when we first encounter him we're saying god this is unbelievable this is magnificent but if we got familiar with the whale sharks, you, if you go on YouTube, you can see people who've done that. And so we don't want to get familiar with his presence. We don't want to get familiar with the magnitude of who he is. So it means we have to obey carefully. So when you think about obedience, think of obedience in two things. Obey with boldness and obey carefully. Let me show you a picture of what happened when someone didn't obey. 1 Samuel 15. Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission. The Lord sent me. Samuel's approaching Saul, saying, Saul, um, there's something wrong here. Saul says, I did obey. And I have brought back Agag and the king of Amalek. And I have destroyed all the Amalekites. I have boldly obeyed. Everyone say, boldly obeyed. 
But the people took some of the spoil and the sheep and the choicest things devoted to destruction and sacrificed it, God, to you. So we actually went above and beyond. We sacrificed to you. Remember the sacrifice, right? Samuel said, and you can imagine, this is a reprimanding Samuel at this point. Has the Lord much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Does the Lord care when you bring, Lord, I've sacrificed this. We're gonna give this to you. I I mean, yes, there's a giving, but he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And here we see this tabernacle come to life because we see this is all good, but God really wants this intimacy with us and that comes through obedience. And so he says, for rebellion is there's a sin of divination, which is disobedience and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected and disobeyed the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed. And the command of your Lord, your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Never fear people. Never fear their voice. Never, never fear the voice of Sprite saying, obey your thirst and disobey God. I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. Now look at this. Saul was bold in obedience. He was bold to go take on the Amalekites. He was bold to go gain victory and to gain more land. But he wasn't careful in his obedience. We can be bold, saints, but we also have to be careful. Here, Saul feels the ripping of God's presence in his life because of disobedience. He's like, but God, I did almost everything. I did, I mean, we got a lot of land. But God's like, you you disobeyed me. Bold obedience. Careful obedience. You see, even Joshua, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua, he said two things. He said, be strong, but be very courageous. But then he says, be careful to obey everything God's shown you. He says, be bold. Go out and take the land. Go after that chariot. Go start running. I'm going to show you how this works out but be careful to obey everything that I've called you to obey. So often we're bold in our obedience, but we're not careful. Sometimes we're careful, but we're not bold. Those two work hand in hand because I never want to be in the place of Saul saying, God, I felt like I obeyed you, but I missed a few things. And God says, I can't have my presence on you, Tom. I'm saying, God, I want your presence more than anything else. I don't know if you want his presence more than anything else, but it comes back down to us obeying. In your life, ask, where has God asked you to do something? Because you'll see a breaking, like the alabaster box, over his feet and his smile and his love and his presence in your life. In our careful obedience to him is where his power lies. In our bold obedience to him is where his presence lies. You see, here's the thing. Grace alone didn't save Noah obedience did when Moses stood before the Red Sea obedience obedience got him across the other side Jericho fell down not because of the strength of an army but because of obedience to say I will walk around this city and I will see it crushed why? because God told me to 5,000 weren't fed because of the disciples' reasoning or their ability to figure out how to manufacture more bread and more fish they were fed because they obeyed 
If we're not seeing enough of His presence and not enough barriers broken down and not enough interventions, then we have to look back to our obedience to His voice and His word. The intervention of Jesus in our life was based on obedience. Deuteronomy says this, See, I am setting forth before you today blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord, if you go in to the holy place that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God, and turn away from things I have commanded you. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Though, we, though he were a son, talking about Jesus, Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Two things in that last scripture, it's amazing. He learned obedience. This is the son of God. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. If you're suffering today, God is getting ready for you to obey Him and for His presence to flood in your life. If there's any point in your life you're saying, God, I'm suffering, guess what? You're like Jesus right now. And learning that obedience to see His His, His presence flood your life. The second thing He says that He is the author of those who obey Him. I don't want to author my life. I don't know about you, but when you submit your life to Jesus, you say, God, I want you to be the author. You want me to run to a chariot? I will run to a chariot. I don't have to know why. You want me to obey? I will obey. And I hope you will show me why this happens. So if we're obedient to him, we have him be the author of our life. And how much pressure does that release? Because I don't want to try to write my life. I want him to write my life because of my obedience. So you may be here today and you're saying, Tom, listen, I want his presence. Let me say this. It comes back down to obedience. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story real quick because it's important. Um, and this is off the record. In October last year, um, I had a, had a vision from God. And I was sitting in a plane next to two strangers coming back from a business forum in South Africa. And I, I was sitting next to two strangers and God hit me. And I started crying like a crazy person. And I was like, why, why, God, do you hit me here? Like, I've been to the prayer room so many times and I just don't get hit like I get hit in the plane. You know, maybe SA Airways is anointed or something. I don't know. But I, but I got hit by God. And, and these people are looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I'm just like messed up, like, like profusely crying. And God shows me this picture of a stadium filled with people, young people, filled with different generations. And, and, and what I saw was a whole generation running to the front of the stage and people's hands raised and I saw giftings activated in the hearts of young people. And I felt like God said, I'm gonna activate giftings that were once dormant and dead. I'm gonna activate callings that were once on the rails. I'm gonna put this young generation back on fire for me. And I saw, I saw this fire in the hearts of people. I saw this fire in this generation that was just completely broken for his goodness. And I said, God, what is this? He's like, listen, there's gonna be this season of unity amongst the churches. There's gonna be, see, this unity. And, and, he says, and he says, where there is unity, I command my blessing. Because unity comes back to obedience. So I saw this chariot run before me and I'm saying, I don't know if I want that chariot. I don't know what that even looks like. The vision panned across the stage and I saw 
united pastors standing together on the same platform, united in heart. And I saw different pastors coming out, declaring the word over this generation, declaring people. I saw different musicians uh, just, just singing, singing a new song to the Lord. We didn't see titles. We weren't focused on who was there and who wasn't and how many uh, nations this man has spoken in. But there was this amazing oneness. I saw testimonies on the side of big, huge screens where people would be talking about what Jesus has done in their life, where people would talk about healings, people would talk about interventions, people would talk about cancer being free from the brain on these screens where we would testify the goodness of Jesus. So I see this and I come back to our leadership and I say, hey, um, this is what I saw. I don't know how, how this works, um, but I feel, like, I feel like we have to kind of obey this. And it seemed good to the elders it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to peace. There was a peace. And we all agreed, hey, listen, um, let's do this, but let's not make this specifically a celebration church event because let's see if we can't invite all, this, all the other churches together and let's do this together with something for our nation. And that's, that's something that, you know, it's like, well, okay, so how do we do this? So Dr. McConey and myself and a few others, we've been going door by door, sitting in front of pastors throughout the entire city, all the way, you know, people who work in Chittanguiza, um, all the way who have people who have stuff in Guruve and, 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 and churches everywhere. And we've been sitting, sharing this vision. And every time we sit, guess what? We feel the presence of God. We feel the presence of God and we see Him doing something way beyond what we could ever think, ask, or imagine. And, and people are saying, this is time. We're glad it's coming from a young generation. We need someone. We need people to rise up and do something. And so it's amazing because now we've got collaboration from so many different churches. I mean, we're probably going to have 100 churches represented on the night. But, but guess what? It's not about a celebration thing. It's about a God thing. It's about a church thing. It's about what He is doing in the hearts of people. And so I wanted you to know this because stadium worship is that night. And we're going to be getting together on Saturday. And again, this is not about whose brand is where. This is about the brand of Jesus Christ. This is about who He is and the King of Kings. And so when we get involved in this, I want you to get involved as a member of His church. And it's amazing to see. And so we've been very careful about it because we don't want it to look like it's one brand. So I want you to know that and I want you to speak that as well. We are doing this together. We are doing this with other leaders. We were doing this with other young people who are on fire for his generation. So there's a way, there's a way to be involved. And I want you to think about it. Because guess what? We're believing that when God's presence hits this place, that no sickness can be there. We're believing that in a nation that maybe struggles modeling certain things, that we can model the correct things. Because where there is unity, he commands a blessing. And I don't know about you, but I think Zimbabwe needs a commanded blessing from God. And so as we do this, my heart and my cry and our cry is leadership. And you know what? Pastor Tom's incredible because he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. More gets done for God when no one cares about who gets the credit. This is going to be, some, and, and, and let me say this. So many people are coming together, adding different things. And I want you to pray with me on this. Let's pray for something to begin in the hearts of young people. One touch from God can change a generation. When we put our hope on Him, we put our belief in Him, and one name is lifted up in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.